and welcome to the In Contention Podcast. This is Sam Snyder, your host, with Matt Cranstuber. That actually rumbled the dice on it the did. table. I think so. <laughs> That's what I'm going for. <laughs> to the dinosaur in Jurassic Park. Ruben Soto said, Yeah. Yeah, my, my little thing of jello was about to spoon in my mouth, sort of shaking. Mm-hmm. Different scene. That, that was, that oh, was okay. the Velociraptors, not the Tyrannosaurus. <laughs> oh, yeah, she's so scared it's shaking. Yeah. Right, it's not that when the water's like. Whatever. Classic scene. Good evening. And Ruben Bressler. Hey, what's up, guys? No longer the beard. No longer with the beard. Because, well, we'll get into why I don't oh, have a beard. Super clean, close shave there. That's really right. I'm pretty nice. attractive looking. Well, I mean, I have been the whole time. It was just hiding underneath my stubble. So, you know. <laughs> you no longer look homeless. Um, I am still wearing the pajama pants and sweatshirt. So. Uh, that's true. And a shirt that says Archaeological Seminars We Dig Israel. Looks like it's from about 1997. Yeah. Now you just look like a ne'er do well. Not a homeless. I got, I got this when I was a junior in high school, so this is, uh, this is a pretty old shirt. Nice. I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty homeless still, don't worry. I'm just a cleanly shaven homeless person. So we got a lot, lots to talk about tonight. Uh, a couple good events happened since our last episode. Uh, this past weekend was GP Baltimore. So we have hashtag GP Baltimore. I guess we'll go through our hashtags here. A uh, couple sub-hashtags there, continuing the Star Wars theme, a.k.a. GP Moss Isley. Then we will wretched talk about... Scum and villainy. Yeah, a, a wretched hive of scum and villainy. Who would want to go in there? Sure. Right. Uh, Ohio Magic Weekend 2012 review, and we're going to talk about the decks there. Lots of really interesting decks to talk about. You realize, by the way, like, by calling it Ohio Magic Weekend, you imply that that's the only Ohio Magic Weekend? I mean, if we get another PTQ, double PTQ, we'll call it the biannual Ohio Magic Weekend. Fair enough. <laughs> but what, what, what if that happens every single time? Well, then I guess we have to repeat hashtags. God. You never repeat hashtags. Fine. All right, Ohio Magic Weekend 2012A. There you go. All right, uh, then our next topic is hashtag land tax, uh, hashtag gold rush, and then finally hashtag GP Seattle or GP Cloud City. <laughs> Continuing with Star Wars theme. I, w- I really want that to continue throughout the year. I'm not sure everybody knows enough uh, locations in the Star Wars universe. Well, we also got around the fact that we're... There are like what forty Grand Prix this year or something absurd. Right, but all the American ones are the ones that are. That we oh, made. you can okay. easily come up with forty Star Wars themes. For example, is there a Grand Prix in like Miami or Orlando? It's pretty swampy in that area of Florida, and you no can good. call it Grand Prix. Well, you can also well Dagobah. that one's underwater, so you can call them, uh, like Grand Prix New Orleans. Uh, uh, mm, sure, sure. But yeah, Dagobah would be the Orlando one. And then Arizona you, would be Tatooine. Right. And if there's one in New York City or Chicago or something big like that, you Coruscant. can call Coruscant. Yeah, Where's I mean, Kashyyyk? I'm glad that I've seen the Star Wars movies. Otherwise, I would tell you guys to shut up right now. So, <laughs> I think if, the majority of our audience has seen Star Wars. I, okay. I think that we're fine there. All right. So let's dig right into GP Baltimore, which uh, was standard. Right. And we had a pretty pretty interesting top eight. We've gone through the list. We've been talking about them. We watched the top eight games live. Um, we this this last weekend was Ohio Magic Weekend, and all three of us were pretty deeply involved in um, playing, participating in some form or another. So uh, I don't believe any of us got to watch as much coverage as we probably yeah, I could didn't, have. I didn't previously. see any coverage until later. Well, uh, I guess I, I guess we can just talk about this right away. Um, I I was uh, at our, we had our a booth set up. And uh, helping other people in Israel from Just Games had the Kravidron most of the day on Sunday. And he starts kind of like 
getting really excited into the last round of Swiss or the second to last round or something, saying that he was super pumped that Jackie Lee was going to make top eight. And I'm like, Jackie Lee, like, who the heck is that? And uh, he's like, oh, well, she's the she's the girl who does alters at the Star City events. Yeah. And she is like nine and whatever going into day two. And then she's, you know, uh, she's in contention to be in the top eight right. for the event. And so he's getting super excited every so often. I hear him go, yeah, or, you know, whatever. And so she ends up making the top eight, which right. is, like, pretty incredible because she's an amateur by every definition of the word. And um, so, so as, as you know, I come over, I'm checking the game out, and we're talking. I'm like, hey, wait a minute. If she wins, she'll be the first female GP winner ever, and which we had talked about last week on the cast. Right. To which he, he gets really excited and, like, kind of pumps up everybody around him. And so we, we rally around this computer, and we watch the semifinals um, where she's playing against Dave Shields. And he's playing blue-black, and she's playing red-green aggro. And um, it was just, like, a really intense moment. Like, I, I felt like I was watching a football game for a while. Because mm-hmm. um, just she gets to a point where she has a number of outs that she can draw that just outright win of the game. Um, it's a really fun game to watch. Go If you track down the semis, I don't know where exactly Wizards Post. I'm assuming that you can get to them through Good Gamery. Or, I'm sorry, not Good Gamery. Uh, GG's Live. Right. Yeah, I think they're all through Twitch TV or something. Yeah. Um, but it basically comes down to uh, Matt Shields is on a very low life total. She has a Phyrexian Metamorph with a sort of uh, Feast of Payment. Actually, two, because one of them's a Metamorph, and the it's copying a... Uh, a uh, Feast of Payment. Uh, whatever the, the black vampire is. Oh, right, right. And so she has, like, she plays a Garouk, and she needs to draw shocks, and so the whole time, you're like, oh, like every card she draws. I don't draws, think she had shocks in her deck. She had Galvanic Blast. No, but I, th- I think she boarded him out. Oh, was that the thing? See, see, everybody in our group was just like, because she played the Garouk, and even the commentators were like, she's digging for Galvanic Blast. And uh, so then she played it, activated it, drew five, didn't get it. But it it was, like, really intense to well, watch. The reason why, and she, maybe she boarded them in for game three, but when I was watching game two, uh, there was a point where both her and um, Shields had out Conscript Sphinxes. Oh, God. Which is a very, like, <laughs> I kind of think that it was the wrong play for her, as, as crazy as it sounds, because... She doesn't want to get in a draw cards war with uh, against the blue black deck. Mm. Like he's at like eighteen life or something. There's no way he loses the draw card war because she can go okay, empty my hand, and he's just like, all right, well, you know, black sun zenith, and he has drown yards to just mill her out if they if she draws too many cards. Maybe it's blue sun zenith too. So right, and he can yeah. just blue sun zenith her out. So it's kind of like, wow, I don't know if she wants to get into this into this uh, you know pissing match or whatever. And then she did, and then at some point, I think they just both kind of decided to stop drawing cards. And uh, I, I don't know exactly what the re- rationale was on the other side, because I don't think she, if I remember correctly, she never drew a Galvanic Blast off of all the cards she drew. No. Uh, off of, like, the Conscripts thing, so I'm like, she definitely didn't have it in Game 2. Maybe she boarded it in for Game 3. Right. But, you know, it, it, to me, it seems like that is not a card you want in that matchup. Yeah. So, I agree. Let's talk a little bit about her list, because this is a really cool list that, I mean, we've seen some iterations of Red Green Aggro, but I think this is a this is one you're going to see at FNM a lot this right. coming week. Um, it's a pretty standard mana base. Uh, it is a uh, Red Green Aggro deck, and it has Birds of Paradise, Huntmaster, Hellrider, Acidic Slime, Lamar Elves, Phyrexian Metamorph, Strangler, Geist, Thrun as like the creature base, and then four Galvanic Blast, four Green Sun Zenith, 
and four sword worm pieces. So it's it's just very aggressive. Very it, it uses the birds and the Llanowar elves to make sure that you're always hitting a turn to something, right. either a strangle root geist or, or a, a green sun for a strangle root geist or a geist yeah. or a sword that you can attack right. with on turn three. Right. Because so, as, as Todd Anderson pointed out in his first write-up of uh, the Mono Green deck, there are just a lot of decks that can't deal with an, an animal attacking on turn three with a Sword of War and Peace. Or just playing a turn three Huntmaster feels yeah. pretty good a lot of the time. I mean, what deck that uh, what deck can deal with that aside from Mana Lake and you're playing a Zenith? I mean, that's, right. it's a pretty good way to get four power on the board, and uh, especially being able to green Sun Zenith for that guy early. Um, the one of Acidic Slime is really interesting. The interaction between Hellrider and all the dorks she has is really good. I mean, the yeah. deck has a lot of synergy, and um, I mean, it just looks really powerful. And I'm very favorite. happy that Hellrider is getting play. Yeah, because that card is well, it obviously wouldn't have gotten any play if Lightning Bolt was still in the format. I don't think. No, um, you're right. And so now that there isn't a three damage one mana thing, or even just a highly played like a Nameless Inversion kind of spell, where you know. The key toughness used to be four. Now the key toughness is three. Well, it was five for a while because of Dismember. Right. And it's still technically five. Like, you know, Frexing Obliterator saw a lot more play last week because people stopped playing um, uh, Dismember. Sure. And so all of a sudden, as soon as Dismember is not being played, Obliterator is awesome. There are... I'm, I'm just kind of doing a quick browse through the list here. And I only see one dismember in the entire, um, entire the, whole the entire top eight. Right, because the decks that like like blue black control, the decks that it has problems with, it does not particularly want to be casting dismember against. Yeah, like dismember, you know, is not very good against humans. Yeah, you got to kill the occasional. Um, uh, what's his name? The the human hero blade hole or whatever. Right, right. But like in those decks, you probably would rather have a Doomblade or something, because, right. you know, that's yeah. a real problem. Plus, like, if your opponent plays Consecrate Sphinx in the mirror, like, yeah. you'd much, you need, you want Doomblade, you do not the want doom, the, uh, the Doomblade go-for-the-throat uh, mix in the top eight is interesting to me, mm-hmm. because I don't really know what people were expecting artifact creature-wise, um, but, I guess Worm Coil Engine or something, but there's an awful lot of, uh, uh, you know, black creatures to be worried about, namely the Grave Titans in the control decks. Yeah, Grave Titan is a common issue. Yeah. And two of the decks in the top eight also ran, actually, I'm sorry, three, including Palos and Matt Shields, ran Curse of Death Soul. Right. Which is interesting because that card was like, hey, this is the answer to the format, and then people said, nah, maybe it's not, it doesn't beat humans, and now we're seeing that this card is starting to come into favor, especially right. seeing three different lists in the top eight Play in the main deck. Well, that's because humans, the, the deck that everyone wanted against was the blue-white uh, humans deck, and it wasn't great against the list that was running around pre-rotation. Mm-hmm. And now, it didn't look like it was going to be great at first, but the way that the format has turned into, I mean, it's very good against Delver. It's awesome against a Spirit Delver deck. Right. You know, there's just so many decks it's awesome against. Yeah. I think that there's, uh, there's... The other thing that I was very excited about this top eight is uh, last week... Uh, this is this is a called it moment. Uh, I said zombies would top eight. I said zombies would win, of course, because you forced me to, you jerks. <laughs> but a zombies deck did make top eight. Yeah. So I think that, and that's a sort of a watershed moment for the format because it's the first time that, mm-hmm. that the zombies, at, in its current iteration, have 
Now, it was not roof, it was not rooftop storm combo zombies. No, it wasn't the grim grin grave crawler rooftop storm co- storm combo. No, it's similar to the it's similar to the one we talked about the other weekend. Uh, right. I sorry, the, his name escapes me. He played it at Star City. He got some camera time for a while, um, but it's basically black blue zombies with phantasmal image. The captain, yeah. uh, diagraph captain, and those are basically your your blue spells. I think that diagraph captain is absolutely the card that that deck needed because you know it's for the red green decks you've got a lot of guys that have undying or you have a lot of other value attached to the creatures. With zombies, you don't have any come and play effects. You know you don't really get any value out of your creatures after they're dead, other than like a uh, giraffe's messenger and grave crawler. You know and grave crawler, sure. But the thing but is, then the diagraph ghoul makes it even worse. For you to be playing Black Sun Zenith against this deck, so right, and that's the thing is that the deck needed a way to be able to recover better from Wrath of God effects and to get more reach, and this certainly does it against the blue black deck. So interesting uh, tidbit in the top eight: not as many Snapcasters as I expected. I mean, obviously, every deck that has access to blue uh, is attempting to try to play Snapcaster in some regard. And uh, seven of the eight decks in the top eight are blue, but not all of them are playing Snapcaster. Um, and there were no uh, Pirate Ghosts in the top eight. No, there were no. Which is interesting. No Pirate Ghosts. Yeah, so uh, Drug Squall <laughs> Captain did not make an appearance, or that was sort of the breakout card in Honolulu. And there were a lot that were sort of at the high tables at the end of day two, or before the end of Swiss. But yeah, none of them top Right. And part of that probably is that everyone uh, this week figured out about Corrosive Gale. Right. And so even though there weren't a lot of Corrosive Gales in the top eight, you know, it was just an environment. It was just keeping them down. Right. It was an environment where, you know, and it, it's it's like not even that great against Delver. It's not that great against, it's you know, Corrosive Galing out a uh, Consecrated Sphinx takes a bit of effort. Yeah. But it does not take much effort to just blow out the Spirit's deck. And so what you had to worry about was the entire tournament... You just couldn't play against too many, you know, decks that just had it in the sideboard. It could be any deck. Mono white, you know, blue white humans could play Corrosive Gale. And then right. all of a sudden you're just like... I believe I, I told Mark's son about Corrosive Gale about two months ago, and he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But now, That's now, Mark's son. Now I did it. That is Mark's son. So. He called it. So one thing, I mean, you're talking about Delver decks, and one thing that you had mentioned, uh, and we've kind of seen some chatter about it lately, is whether or not Delver decks are, or, or I shouldn't say Delver decks, that the card Delver Secrets is it fun or unfun? Right. Um, so the argument that I the the discussion the discussion that I heard was Delver is unfun because no matter what happens on the flip, someone feels cheated. Hmm. Right. So if you if it, if you flip it and it's an instant, the opponent's like, "Oh man, you're so lucky." If you flip it and it isn't, the player that played the Delver is like, well, now I feel cheated because I was expecting a wild McConnell. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So, so, I mean, the only way you don't feel cheated is in response to the trigger, Brainstorm. Sure. But that's in Legacy, obviously. So, you know, like, it, that's, that's the argument that I heard, that it's just an unfun card, and it's also just not blue. You know what I mean? It probably should have been a 2-2 flyer. Because the 3-2 flyer is just... Yeah, the problem with being a 2-2 flyer is that it's not nearly good enough for standard. You know, and I mean... You don't think so? I mean, no. Phantasmal Bear saw play. Right, but Phantasmal Bear is a guaranteed 2-2. Like, the thing about, the, about Delver is that if you flip it, then you win on turn uh, turn 8, right? By itself, with no no other assistance, you win on turn 8. Sure. 
Uh, if it is a 2-2, let's turn 11. You know, and, and I think that you can pretty easily, with Delver, just like one Delver, play an aggro control list at 3 power and get your opponent, you know, get there pretty easily. I think 2 power makes it, you know, and then, like, late game, like, even late game when you draw a Delver, like, if you flip it, it's still fine. Like, right. you're still, you know, have a 3-2 flyer. Like, that guy's huge. Right, but that's not, I don't think standard would be hampered if Delver wasn't a tournament playable card. No, no, you're My right. The point is, is it, is it a unfun card? I don't think it's unfun. I think the card itself, I think, is fine. The problem with the card is that it encourages all these decks to play a million instants. And right. Well, Snapcaster Mage was already doing yeah, it. Yeah, and, and Snapcaster Mage just pushes that to the, to the nth level. And so you have a lot of decks that are playing, you know, their creatures in the form of instants and everything. Just an it instant. just seems it seems like a lot like, and then Rune Chanter's Pike is a card that also makes you want to play some creatures, but a lot of instants and sorceries. I mean, if you like look at that list, they play a new card that we haven't seen uh, just to get cards in the bin, and also it's instant, which is Thought Scour. Right? It's like what? There's no, there's no uh, except for uh, Snapcaster, there's no other cards that interact with the graveyard. So, uh, Snapcaster and the Rune Chainer's Pike, it's kind of crazy that that card is good enough to see playing this deck. I, I, I have to think that they that they saw that those three cards being together coming. You know what I mean? Oh, I imagine. Well, and so then the, then the question is, when do you think the next time we're going to see a remotely playable two mana counterspell? Well, yeah, Mana Leak is sort of the boss of the format. Yeah, right there's now. no way Mana Leak's coming back. Not even close. Yeah, I'm hoping Mana Leak leaves too. I think I, I I was glad to have Mana Leak back for a little while. Yeah, I don't want it back anymore. No, it, there's there's no way to do that. There's no way they could even print. Uh, they're, they're certainly not going to print a Remand or a Rune Snag variant. I mean, I think that the that the two mana counterspell. Uh, it, it's it clearly Mana. Yeah, Mana Leak has been played extre- uh, to to extreme numbers. And now we're at a point where I think it's time that we sort of do give, get a little paradigm shift to the format. Right. Well, the last time there wasn't a playable two-mana counterspell, Jun took over. I think that you're, that's a good point. Um, and also, we Jun was, but Jun was so good that it didn't allow Jace decks to be played. And I don't think it was the printing of Mana Leak that allowed Blue decks to be good. I think it was Blood Braid Elf leaving the format, the Cascade format leaving the format right. that allowed the Blue decks to come in. Because even then... We had Cascade in the format with Jace and uh, and Mana Lake. Jace decks weren't good. Yeah, they were. No, they weren't. The, I, the, I don't know if you remember. We we we. I listened to a couple of our podcasts, and there were Blue was not. But that dominated. was that was pre Mana Lake because we were t- this, we were discussing. Oh, we were su- discussing that how good Jace is. Right, that Jace the the biggest problem with Jace was Blood Bloodbred Elf. And that, you know, once Bloodbred Elf was just going to be, uh, you know, Jace was just going to be like a disaster once Bloodbred Elf left. Yeah. But then we got Mana Leak, and all of a sudden Super Friends became a deck. Okay, good point. And there was, yeah. a, bl- there was a the blue-white uh, yeah, Planeswalker Johnny, deck. Yeah, Johnny Vengeance, Jace, well, Earthquake. There was yeah. that deck, and then there was also just a blue-white um, Planeswalker deck that played like Elspeth and... Gideon. Yeah, Gideon. Yeah, okay, and, and, sure, sure. And it was, uh, you know, that was just also equally as miserable... Yeah, as the Super Friends deck. I just don't. I don't know if there's room for a, a, a soft counter like Mana Leak in standard for for right now. I, um, I think that if also when the Titans leave, the need for a card like Mana Leak is going to lessen. I think very true. Like once once the for, if let's assume for the moment the format shifts away from six mana giant. Well, animals. Titans are leaving. 
if Titans are leaving, assuming there isn't six mana dragons in this, the they will journey. not print. Let's just say they're not going to print Titans, and then as soon as the Titans leave, go now's our new set of ridiculous six drops. Right. <laughs> well, what I'm saying is that well, you know, if the cycle of dragons is five drops or whatever, it's you right. know, well, right. And, and mana leak. The problem with mana leak was that it is enough to counter stuff early on, enough to counter stuff late. But Manica we had it the last time, it really lost its power because in the late game because spells just were cheaper and no one was trying to cast a six drop. Right. You know, maybe a four drop. And so yeah, mana leak is less impressive in the late game when there's you know, you have to worry about four drops and not six drops. And now that the game is focused on casting bigger and bigger spells, mana leak is I mean, it's it's it takes a long time for the game to progress to a point where one mana leak is not incredibly relevant. Doesn't just counter it. So, let's shift gears a little bit. We can maybe talk a little bit more about Standard um, when we talk about High Magic Weekend. Um, at the GP, which is in Baltimore, there's a pretty good group of guys that play down there. Um, there's a great cubing community. And something uh, really awful happened this weekend. Um, there was a series of thefts at the GP. Um, right. hence, our, hence the nickname Mos Eisley. Mos Eisley, right. Um, our, our good friend Eric Klug had a laptop stolen out of his trunk. And then a worse scenario happened. Um, Justin Parnell of uh, Star City Games, the cube content writer there, had his entire cube stolen. Yeah. Um, this is this is incredibly awful right. and it's, thing it's to a, happen to anybody. It's it's really depressing because you know I was I was sitting next to Ben Weinberg in Chicago. I was sitting at the table next to him when Weinberg's backpack got picked up. And then the 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 thief got caught by the team of judges. I don't know if anyone remembers that situation, but four people got lifetime bans as a result. There were um, you know lots of charges filed in Chicago, and they I believe they got fines instead of any you know jail time or anything. But um, I hadn't heard anything about groups of thieves going to magic events for the express purpose of stealing. Magic players stuff until this, right? And so it's a little depressing. Well, I mean, and that's, that it's come back. That's what happened. Uh, that's obviously what happened in Chicago. That's what happened. There's an event at Baltimore last year that happened. Mm. Well, there was like, I mean, there was like a, uh, I don't remember if it was an armed robbery, but somebody like uh, stole somebody's binder that has like was like a like a serious binder, right? Like one of those ones that you go through it and you're just like. You, I could never trade for any of this. Yeah, this, yeah, yeah, this yeah. is a, this is basically a house. And, you know, it's just like you know, like one of those, like, not a house, you know, it's probably mean, like and, and a ten thousand dollar binder. The th- and the guy when he was running away said something, you know, someone tried to stop him. And he just said he had a gun or something. And the guy was like, "Okay, well, right." And you know, who knows if he did or not? But it's it's just that you know somebody knew what this stuff was worth and just uh, just grabbed it and ran. Apparently, Parnell's cube was was pretty pimped out. Yeah. And yeah. You know, this has caused a lot of discussion this week um, about security at events. In the past, uh, after Gen Con, we talked about, you know, the the possibility of beefing up security at larger events, you know, having people at the door, having undercovers. You know, there really isn't a a solution in place for these Star City events. I'm sure that something will come out as a result of this. Uh, Well, hopefully there will be. Well, Um, it's it's very hard because, you know, you can catch... Idiots who try and grab a binder and run. Uh, when you have an actual team working, I mean, it's very hard to catch them. Like these the, guys stole a laptop out of the trunk of a car. 
Well, it's, it's not, not that. even that they're just picking up. You know, they're walking by and picking people's pockets. Well, right, but at Chicago, they had like twenty plus backpacks in a yeah. hotel room. And what happened was, is they, you know, they got caught. The guy got caught, and he was not giving up the information. But the other guys who were in the team, I guess, they knew they needed to get the backpacks out of the room, but they didn't want. It. They couldn't at this point be caught with like twenty freaking backpacks sure. or whatever. And so what they did was, they tried to call in and say. Oh, uh, you know, we got my my friend got really ill and he's in the hospital. Can you send his right, all right. the and the contents opened, of our room and then back they to us? The room and they open the room up and there's just like thirty backpacks. Right. And it's like okay, this looks. And the reason sketchy. why it works, uh, that stealing backpacks works, is that Magic tournament play, uh, players go to especially Grand Prix. Uh, they tend to you know they're traveling and a lot of them fly in and they love carry-ons. And so what happens is they have a backpack that has got a binder, it's got some decks, and has a laptop. Right. It's got an iPod, you know, it's got all these items in it, and so they just, you know, get the, you get the backpack, you just go, you know, I imagine was, for this one, they just got the backpack and left, and went back to the room, put the backpack there, and I'm sure later on they would have gone through the contents, uh, you know, taking the batteries out of the laptop and stuff before they turn right. them on, just in case they have... Uh, the tracking device in it. Right, right, something like that. But yeah, I mean, I mean they knew what they, were, what they were looking for, and, you know, events like this, you have to be careful, because... Um, you know, there, you know, there's a lot of money to magic event. Yes. And would not be, you know, and so it, anytime they have a lot of money and especially this is a lot of money where a lot of money where the people who own that money are distracted doing something else. Like the other thing is that players, you should always, if you have a, if you have your backpack in a tournament, you should put it around, like you should put the two loops of the backpack, you should put your feet through the two loops of the backpack and have it in front of you so that you, even when you're sitting at the table, if you look down, you can see part of the backpack. Like, right. it's, it's, you know, because even if you're focused on your game, you need to have 1% of your attention focused on your stuff, especially if there's a lot of expensive things in there. Right. The other, the other uh, it occurs to me that there was another situation where um, Jerry Thompson won Grand Prix Denver, I want to say, and when while he was getting his championship photo taken, his backpack got stolen. Yeah. Like, yeah. that, you know, so I, I guess it's happened sp- sporadically. Well, I mean, at, at um, Gen Con last year when Dave Williams got his right. uh, vintage deck stolen. Yeah. So, I mean, there's still, but those, it's it's tougher to prove that those were teams, those, right. those particular instances, right. because there weren't mass amounts. But when it happens like this, where, you know, there are so many examples, and we, we went over uh, two or three that we, we heard of, but I, I've heard of people uh, saying that other uh, thefts happened at Baltimore also. Like, you know, it, it was, you know, Grand Prix Mos Eisley is sort of a funny term because it, we were doing the Star Trek Grand Prix thing. Star Wars. It's Star Wars, sorry. Come on. Wow. Come on. i got to kill myself now. Jeez. The Star Wars-themed Grand Prix naming thing we just decided to do it that way. But in, in all seriousness, it's a very serious situation. No, it is. It, Wizards and Star City need to take... Like, that's got to be their next big project. And one of the problems is that um, everyone who I know who's gotten stuff stolen from, the police do not take it very seriously. Right. And, you know, because technically, you know, those guys in Chicago who got caught, I mean, they probably had... If you, if you did the actual value... You pro- they probably had fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars. I was going to say minimum fifty thousand. Minimum, it was like fifty thousand dollars of the stuff. Well, that is well past grand theft. Yeah. And but you know, because all the stuff is in card form, and there's you know some questions with the value of it, and you know it's just not taken as seriously. So it's harder to like you know even when you have security. I don't think the security is just like 
you know, acting like this this is very valuable stuff. That's well, the thing around. is that that if Star City or Wizards hires private security, let's say they can they can tell them uh, about that about how the police don't really yeah. take it seriously. But they can give examples of of you know Star City can be like, listen, we are a million dollar business doing only this. Yeah. So these cards are worth this. And their, their, their security needs to be preventive, not reactive, right. which is what police are. Police are reactive. They come in after the fact. But if you hire private security, you can be preventive and do a lot more like what the judges did in Chicago, catching the guys there, you know, and dropping them to the ground like you they just deserve. Get, you just well, the judges, get a couple point people sit at the end of a table with a, with a coffee and just watch people trade. I'm it's pretty like, sure, though, the judges can't actually tackle anybody. Well, the, okay, fine. But that was just me talking. In my okay. dream world, right. that's what I would... In your dream world... In my dream world, the judges not only administer justice in matches, but they also administer justice in the form of tackling your dream, idiots that steal shit. In your dream world, Sheldon is at every event. Yes. And when people uh, steal a backpack, they just turn around and Sheldon's there and just slugs them in the face. Yeah. And he drags them back to his... And Sheldon's wearing the Judge Dread outfit. Right, and, he dra- dra- and then there's a back room... Have you ever seen that casino? Yes. The scene where they, they catch right. the guys uh, who are... Uh, and they break his hand with a hammer. Right. right. And that's exactly, what's, that's exactly what, what happens in Magic Sherman. That's your dream world. Right. All right. Well, let's, let's get that done. Yeah. So the last thing I want to talk about in about the Grand Prix Baltimore, just real quick, is uh, there was some discussion about how it's too easy to get buys uh, at Grand Prix now with the new Planeswalker point system. Do you have any input on that? Yeah. Like... <laughs> Apparently, people, something like one third of the uh, of the people in the Only half the people played round one, and everyone's right. like, "Oh, look how easy this spot. It was never that hard to get buys. I mean, okay, it's probably easier than it was, you know, the very last season. But I mean, I would say most Grand Prix, around half of the people didn't play round one. You know, most, you know, not maybe not legacy, but when it was like talking about like standard and stuff, most of the people who were playing at those Grand Prix. You know, probably around half, maybe a little bit less, didn't play round one. The, the big thing is that two and three buys, or two buys at least is much easier also. Right, that's like, what I was saying. Like a third of the people had two buys. Yeah, two buys is a big deal because uh, it, in, in the old system, it was pretty easy to get one buy. Right. Two buys was very hard, and three buys, uh, and actually two buys is actually harder to get usually than three buys. Because three buys you got off of your pro player, pro player, pro player level, rating or winning a Grand Prix trial. And there were a lot of Grand Prix trials, and so a lot of people had three buys from Grand Prix trials. Right. But Two buys was a lot more difficult because that was only rating. Right. right? Two buys was... Uh, you could have pro points, too. But two buys was like a 1950 rating. 1950, yeah. Which, you know, at, at any given time, you know, there's not many people above a 1950. Yeah. You know? I was hovering around 1920 for most of the Grand Prix, and I remember I got up to 1950 for one of the Grand Prix, and I was like, ooh, this is awesome. And then I immediately plummeted back down. But, like, it, I agree. It was a lot more... I, I definitely think it was a lot more difficult because now you can just play in every FNM right. they and should, get the points. They should probably raise the level need for two buys a little bit. Though it could also be that part of the reason this probably happened was because FNMs... The this multiplier is, was three before... Right. You know, they sort of altered the multipliers. It was real easy to get uh, two buys... When F and M's were worth as many points as they were, I think how many points did you need? Do you remember for what? For uh, two buys. I don't remember. It was like three hundred points or, or something. something. Like that, Maybe it yeah. was less than that even. 
And that's like... You could get that like a few weeks up from M&M's. Right. After, when you're looking at F&M's that were giving 70 points, that's, right. you know, two months of F&M's. Uh, you know, even if you're not doing particularly well, theoretically you're above the threshold for it. So, I, I mean, I think that the right. new if system... You, if you two-toed or, like, three-toed every F&M you went to, which is not spectacular by any stretch, you're still getting two buys at Grand Prix. Right. I think that the now the F&M levels are lower. It's You know, we, we, we'll probably just see what it's like next season. Before we go around saying, well, we need to increase the buy threshold. Because you also don't want to make it impossible to have buys. Like, getting three buys is pretty hard right now. Yeah. The, that, the, cause the, that number of planes are points seems like that was pretty high. Uh, just in terms of the, of the total number, uh, total, like, top level you need to be. Um, but, yeah, two buys. Well, we'll again, we'll see. We'll, we'll see what it's like. Um, they might need to. I think before it was actually based on the, what number, number you were in the world or something. Right before and, it was right, and and maybe we just need to you know Go alter those alter those a bit. And yeah, I mean it's it's a you know gamers are going to game the system, so if if people want to make buys, they're going to go to like two or three FNMs a night, maybe if they can, or do whatever they can, playing as many tournaments as they can, right, the, the, to the, get to the point where they can get as many buys as they can in Grand Prix, which is their ultimate goal. Right, but know. nobody's incentivized to be doing three Grand uh, three P, uh, FNMs a, a, a day. To try to qualify for the Pro Tour. Right. So maybe the problem sort of solves itself. Hmm. It, like, the math will sort itself out. They have smart people working at Wizards. It's not nearly as big of a problem as we originally thought Planeswalker points. We had a long discussion about Planeswalker points on a couple of episodes. Well, the part of it's, This well, one's a much smaller issue. Part of it was it wasn't as big an issue because they changed everything. Right. But, you know. But, you know, they're learning, so. Yeah. We uh, want to transition to our next topic? Then? Yeah. So, uh, last weekend was... Ohio Magic Weekend 2012A. Yeah. Thank well, you. Hopefully 2012A. Hopefully we, hopefully we have more. It was the, the weekend that we had the double PTQs, the double IQs that Mr. Matt Cranstuber was in charge of and organized. Yeah. It was amazing. We it was uh, The store sponsoring it was Comic Town, which is our local gaming shop here. Um, you can follow them at, at Comic Town. At Comic Town. More announcements on future Ohio Magic Weekends and whatnot. Yeah, and uh, we had um, a bunch of really good vendors out, too. Um, Carl from Empire Games, um, uh, Israel from Just Games, and then Pam from R.E.W. came out, and uh, and they were great. And then we ended up, on Saturday, we had 102 players for the modern PTQ, and then... Uh, 25 or something 25 for, the, for, for the IQ. For the IQ, and then Sunday we had another. Oh no, there were like forty up for the IQ on on Sunday. On yeah. S- oh no, on Saturday. Oh okay. Was there? Yeah. Oh. I was. And then and then Sunday there were like eighty five. Yeah. Something like that for the PTQ, and then the IQ. I had like forty five. Like forty five legacy. for Legacy. Yeah. Nice. So, so one of the bigger Legacy tournaments in the state for for months. Oh yeah, sure. I mean that's 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 really exciting to see that Ohio Magic players. Wanted to come and play in a legacy event specifically for the legacy. Event. Yeah, there were players that came up just for legacy, which is which is pretty cool because um, you know we haven't seen a lot of traction in the legacy world for a while. They announced modern, the the attention goes away from from legacy. Uh, dual lands and staple prices have kind of like teetered downward for the last six to nine months. Right, there we were approaching a point where. Temple Gardens were approaching the price of Savannahs. Right. And uh, on certain dual lands. Yeah, now, obviously, yeah. Underground Seas and Watery Graves weren't going to come that close. A hallowed fountain was worth about as much as a plateau. Right. Which is kind of funny. Right. <laughs> um, cute. 
so you know the it it was pretty cool that uh, we were able to we we did the modern tournament before at Comic Town a five hundred dollar event we had a, a pretty good turnout for that. actually we had a great turnout for that we had like fifty people show up and so this was really good to see uh, what a well tuned metagame looks like people have been grinding decks on Moto for a long time there have been uh, you know large scale events that have modern as the format and now we're you know we were able to finally see that so. I want to review a few of these top eight decks, um, mostly yeah, just the ones that we hadn't seen before. Right. The top eight on Saturday for the PTQ, in modern, top eight, eight archetypes. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a healthy form. That's exactly what you want to see. Um, the, the My favorite deck is actually the first place deck, and right. it just has a, 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 a place in my heart because I played this deck in extended which was, uh, when I usually talk about Extended, I'm talking about the glory days of Pernicious Deed and Vindicate. I'm actually talking about Extended just a few years ago. Right. And uh, it is the Mosswart Bridge um, Primeval Titan slash Emrakul Summoning Trap deck. Right. And So the deck had four Windburst Kites? It had four Heights. How many bridges? Uh, two Mosswart Bridge. Two bridges. And then four Summoning Traps and some amount of Through the Breach. Three Through the Breach. So it was... It a, was putting Emrakul into play. Yeah, it That's was putting Emrakul or Titans into play. And, and the right. beauty of of, um, of this deck is that you're not always worried about just putting Emrakul into play. Like, that's obviously your plan A. But sometimes you just play a Titan and you're like, Titan, Mosswart right. Bridge, Mosswart Bridge. Or it just has an aggro plan. It's actually fine. Like, yeah, just Knight of the Reliquary, Knight bash of the Reliquary, you. and and even Nest Invader puts pressure on people, right? You know, because you you just have to get rid of it, or else right. the Windbreaker. They had Lotus Cobra too, right? Right, yeah. Lotus Cobra as well. And I think this deck was very well positioned. Storm's been kind of out of the loop for a while. Uh, we haven't seen as much Splinter Twin as we thought we would see. And so this guy came in and basically preyed on all of the silly aggro right. decks. It was I mean, Monty Nicholas uh, Monte Monte something. Montekia, um, um, you've, you've seen him at events. He's been on the Pro Tour before. He's the guy that is he's super big. He looks uh, super built. He looks like he's he works out a lot. You know what I mean? So he doesn't look like a stereotypical magic player. Yeah. is what I'm trying to say. Anyway, but he's a he's a real smart guy. He he has been working on that deck for a long time, and it's pretty exciting to see him win. So uh, the second deck is uh, uh, these aren't necessarily in order of place. Um, these were just the order that they were submitted to Wizards, so I'm trying to get these uh, fixed up here. But it was by our friend John Johnson, and he was playing a very interesting green-white right. deck. He was basically playing modern Maverick. Yeah, uh, I would, that's a good description of it. Yeah. Um, so he was using uh, Thalia was a big piece of, of his plan to try and uh, you know delay uh, you know. Uh, uh, Explores, delay uh, expedition maps for a turn, things like that, and then you know that extra turn meant an extra like five damage. It just it looks so unassuming to me. This list, uh, it, it you expect like okay, where are the stone forges or like right. where are the green you know, sun zeniths? Yeah, where are the zeniths? Like you, you expect these cards to be there, or like where's the rest of the equipment? There's right. only one piece of equipment, right? So it, it, it is very unassuming, but. It is effective. Right. It was good for him both days. He was able to... I think he played it the weekend before also, so he's kind of becoming used to playing this deck. But it's 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 very very much... It's Fauna Shaman-based now instead of Green Sun's based, which is actually a decent 
change because Graph Digger's cage is in the format. His deck was really interesting. He had the transformational sideboard. Yeah. So he boarded in three gifts and unburial rights, and then he had a choice of Sphinx of the Steel Wind against the uh, Aggro decks or, um, or Elishnorn against, I guess, the Aggro decks as well. He had and, Niona uh, also, didn't he? He maybe had it. It's not in this list here. I thought he did add an Iona. I think on Sunday he had Niona. Not on Saturday. Sure. Because I saw him hard cast an Iona on Sunday. Wow. Because he just had so much mana. Uh, the next deck is uh, just a blue-white aggro deck. It's very Right, which is a deck that's been, been sort of coming back. That's this, the Squadron Hawk deck, correct? This one is just Delver, Snapcaster, V-Click, and Geist as ah. the creatures. And then it has an Elspeth. And then its counters are just amazing. Uh, mana Leaks... Cryptic commands and spell snare. I lost the deck three times this weekend. Just blue white, just just blue white aggro spell snare. Did that exact deck. That's crazy. Really? Yeah, I mean that deck's been picking up some traction with and without squadron hawks. So. It's just got a good. It's got a good uh, plan all around. Its sideboard has spell pierce um, and other various ways to stop decks like you know elves or splinter twin sure. or whatever uh, with damping matrix. Has surgical extraction, fangs, meddling mage. I mean, it's just it's just a very solid uh, list. I don't typically like to play these kinds of decks because I typically draw all my counter spells or all my creatures, but I never draw a good mix. Right. I can never and I can never get it to work without brainstorm. So, so. the remaining archetypes in that top eight were Tron, which made the finals. Traditional blue white, you know, Luis Scott Vargas Tron, which was played by uh, our friend Coop, um, Andrew Cooperfos. Uh, and he actually, in, in finals, had the turn three uh, um, gift, tr- play tr- t- t- uh, second turn segment, turn three, Tron into gifts into Unburial Rites, but he got uh, instant speed Bojukabogged off of a second turn knight from his opponent in the finals. Wow. So Two unrealistic three, scenarios. Very unrealistic <laughs> scenarios in that, in that interaction. <laughs> Uh, there, there was also a the Agrolome decks are picking up a lot of popularity. Um, I won't, we won't go into all of, like the IQ decks except probably the legacy ones. But there were, I believe, two or three Agrolome decks in the, in the, in the IQ. IQ. Yeah. So that deck, I think people saw it day one. They realized that it did well the weekend before. I sold a lot of I sold a lot of Countryside Crushers. Uh, I did not sell any Dark Confidants or anything like that. But I sold all the lands all day. Um, in case you, you don't know, my my participation there was as a vendor, and so my goal was to parse out sure. cards to everybody that was there, and um, that in itself was extremely interesting to do. Uh, in, to be on that side of the table, it was really it was really cool to be on the other side of the table, and I think I realized why I like doing it so much. Which means um, a lot of money. No, it's not. It, I mean, it's it's a <laughs> nice helps. side yeah. effect of sitting behind the booth, but really, it was pretty cool <coughs> when someone would come up and say, I need Darkstone Shores, and then, you know, they say, but I don't have, I don't have, you know, m- that much money to purchase it, can you help me out? And then they hand me their binder, and I wasn't necessarily pointing and shooting, like, really low numbers at them, I would just point and shoot at cards that I just knew that they that we get out of their binders, so I could help them out. So there was a few times over the weekend where I kind of just, like, Made very even trades. I mean, I was very much not in the, the in the dealer mode, uh, so they could help people get the decks that they needed to play in the PTQ. Sure, you know, people come up and say, "I need an entire storm deck." We were very well prepared. 
where I did make a lot of money was commons and uncommons. I was the only person in the room that had... Which was a very smart choice on your part. Yeah. All the commons and uncommons. So. And, and you'd be surprised. You know, when, when one person comes up and says, I need Jun Charms, there are five other people that follow them right behind that say, I need Jun Charms. Right. And, um, or I need, I need Tron Lands, or I Tron need lands. Expedition Maps, or I need whatever. <coughs> so, yeah, and, and uh, so just very briefly, I top-aided the IQ on Saturday mm-hmm. um, with the mono-green Tron deck. Which is a really cool take on the deck. Yeah, Why don't you talk is, a little bit about what was So the there? mono-green Tron deck, which was written about by Owen Turtonwald uh, on Channel Fireball. You can go read his article. Um, the thing about Owen Turtonwald is that the decks that he talks about, anyone can play. There are certain writers like Caleb Durward, Pat Chapin, uh, that you can't. Like Adam Prozac is a friend of ours that you can't really play their decks a lot of the time because their minds just work differently. Sure. <laughs> um, Owen Turtenwald is a very smart guy, but his mind doesn't work differently. So you can sort of play his decks. Does that, does that make sense? That's a good one. And this is a, a very straightforward deck. So it, it runs Tron and Forests, basically. And it has uh, it's 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 got a good game plan against the decks that typically play upon prey upon Tron because you can also just land in a Primeval Titan and they don't have really good answers to a Primeval Titans because usually they can just be like oh tell them in performance you out of the sideboard get your Emrakul ha 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 or destroy your Ayavu game and get rid of it forever now you can't do as well because you only got two threats in the deck well I had Primeval Titans hmm. you know and and in addition to the uh, the giant spaghetti monsters. So, basically, the game plan of the deck was to play Tooth and Nail as quickly as possible and put in a Emrakul and a Flamekin Zealot, which pretty good tech. is a come-into-play ability as opposed to uh, Urabrask, which you can get pathed or whatever, um, so that no matter what happens, you're attacking with the Emrakul. Um, but there were some situations where I just Tooth and Nail for two Primeval Titans. Because, for example, there was one situation where there was a brittle effigy on the board, um, and I just went and got two primeval titans. Right. And what are you going to do? Yeah. What are you going to do? Brittle yeah. effigy is pretty good against the decks that only have one Emrakul, but I've got all this other stuff. So, and it had uh, the Wall of Roots, Overgrown Battlement, Explore, uh, Acceleration, as well as two uh, Oracle of Moldias. So it's just, just it actually just have forty mana sources. Yeah. It just it ramps harder than the traditional Tron decks. It has more threats than the traditional Tron decks. And it just it it gets to where it wants to be faster than the <coughs> traditional Tron decks. Plow under decidedly absent. Yeah, I did not play Plow under because um, the the quickest you can play Plow under in that deck was turn four. Um, if you were playing like the Devoted Druids or Jaraga Tree Speakers and could play it on turn three, then maybe Plow under is an option. But uh, I was just playing the three Beast Within's plan. Right. So fair enough. Yeah, I was happy with it. I was uh, very happy with the deck. We should probably shout out. Our uh, our local friends here, Kirk Crane and Burning Wayne, all stop eight on Saturday. Top eight on Saturday. Um, the, I'm sorry, on Sunday the, the oh it's Sunday the, the, the invitational. Yeah. I'm sorry, not the no, other PTQ. The other PTQ. Thank you for and helping was, me out there. That there was, was one player who top eighted both PTQs. I want to say it was Curtis Dro- Droge. I believe he was playing Agrolone. He's playing Agrolone. He's a Cincinnati guy. Yeah, and he's he's a very good player. He top eighted both PTQs, so I just wanted to mention that. Curtis Droge, uh, the, he played Blue White Fish. Oh, um, oh, I thought the other. Oh, that was Scott Regario. Yeah, Scott Regario also. Yeah. Scott Regario also top eighted both. He was playing Agrolone. Right. Yeah. So there you go. It's not and then Sunday you PT, that you can top eight two PTQs in two days. In two sure. Days. And cool. then uh, our friend Peter Johnson got ninth place. 
at the uh, on the Sunday Pizza Q with Pod. So, or no, was that Sunday or Saturday? Saturday. That was Saturday Pizza Q with Pod. So that was a little unfortunate. Yeah, him and him and Style were playing for ninth place, right? Yeah. Well, what happened was is okay. So I got to tell my absurd story of the day. So I'm playing. Uh, I, I decided to play Black Red Burn. I really like the deck. I think it's very strong. Speed bump, as we're calling. Yes, it, which speed is a, bump. A term terminology we got from uh, Taylor Gunn. Yeah, don't ask about it. Yeah, it's uh, a, yeah. I, I found out what it meant later, and I was, I was like, okay, awkward. But anyway, um, we, uh, you know, when you play that deck, there are things you just you end up losing to. And I lost an early round to a uh, to, to a blue eye. Uh, Fish or Kodak or whatever. And um, because he played, uh, he boarded in, in Leyline of Sanctity. Well, my build of Black Red didn't have uh, Kelvin Marauders. It didn't have Hellspark Elemental. And so beating that card was pretty much impossible. Sure. So I'm like, okay, well, this is awkward. So game game two, he just, you know, keeps a seven and plays it, and I lose pretty easily. Then game three, he uh, mulled the five, because he actually just didn't have hands. But had a ley line, and it just wasn't even close. Like, I, I had no, you know, I, it wasn't even close. I had no even close to beating him. And he also played a... Uh, he also played a core firewalker. He didn't want to lose to red, and I went, well, you know. Then he put a batter skull on it. I mean, yeah, it, that was... it was a whole thing. It was a whole thing. Um, so, okay, so I, I lose there. Then I play against uh, Martyr. And Martyr's a deck where I'm just like, well, I guess just lose this deck, right? So uh, I got fairly close game one, because he kind of uh, had a bit of a rough start. But you know, he play, eventually played a mar- like, you know, he put a martyr on like turn four when he was at like ten life and just was at thirty all of a sudden, so that went from being, you know, close to not close. Then game two, I boarded in one of my you know favorite cyber cards ever in Snaring Bridge, with the intention of, okay, so my plan of attack is I kill him early. If that doesn't work, I deck him. Right? That's my whole game plan. So um I play, uh, you know, I, I play my stuff. I, I do draw a lot of fetch lands that game, so I'm, I'm trying to keep a running count in my head. Uh, and uh, eventually he's like, you know, he plays a martyr, gets up a bunch of life, and he plays like uh, Sarah's Ascendant, Sarah's Ascendant. So I'm at uh, only at like 12 life, so I'm like, okay, well, bridge, right? I play my bridge. Uh, and I've got no card. I got like one card in hand, so he can't ever attack. I mean, he's got a. He also has an honor of pure in play, which just helps me out. <laughs> and of course, because I'm playing red, he has boarded his, his uh, O rings. At least I assume he has. So I'm just not saying anything. I'm just like land go, land go, land go. You know, burn you, whatever. Playing all my creatures out and just sort of waiting. Uh, then it gets to a point, at some point, where uh, somebody walks by and says something about library size. I'm like, God, why did someone have to mention it? And, of course, uh, we do a count, and I have more cards than him. So now we're in this awkward situation where I'm going to get decked. Uh, you have less cards than him. Uh, yeah, sorry. No, I have more cards. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, sorry. I have less cards than him, so I'm going to get decked. And even though we played two um, Rangers of the so I don't know how that happened. He must have been playing more than 60 cards in his deck or something. because uh, Or he asked him, I guess he mulliganed. And so that's why. And so, like, I, I, but I needed him. To, like, I was waiting for him to play in the range before I started doing all the, the counting. Yeah. So, like, all right, how do I win this now? And, um, you know, so basically, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm sort of out of options, and I've, uh, I'm at a point where I have to play a dark confidant in my hand because otherwise he can just attack me. 
And so now I'm going to be up even more cards. Um, I can kill my Dark Confidant, but, you know, it, it's just not really helping me out to get where I need to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that I think about it, because I hadn't thought about the time, I could have just gotten up to two cards, attacked with Goblin Guides, and hoped to get there. But I think it was up, like, two cards in him. So, even with four Goblin Guides, like, there's, you know, if I hit a lander, I just ought to lose. So, I'm just like, well, I'm going to burn him out. Uh, which means that, you know, and I'm like, what are you at? Because at some point, I just stopped keeping track of his life total, because he had, like, played Margaret three times. He's at, like, 40-some life. I'm like, okay. So, I'm just like, all right, burn you, burn you, burn you. And so, you know, I've got, like, three Lava Mancers in play, and every turn, I'm just like, burn, spell, go. Burn, spell, go. Land, go. Burn, spell, go. And uh, I have out a... Um, not health spell bomb, so he can't use his proclamation of rebirth. Mm-hmm. So we're just like playing this, you know, waiting game. And then at some point, you know, I'm. But the problem is, I'm still not writing down his life total. I'm just like, burn you go, burn you go, burn you go. Um, I'm trying to get this round over as soon as possible because if for me to have any chance of winning the third game, you know, I, I you know, I'm, I, I want it to be a third game. I don't want there, to, you know, I don't want to time out this game. And so then I go to, uh, I'm like, uh, I do some stuff, and he's like, all right, I'm at five. I'm like, all right. So I untap, and I use two Lava Mancers on him, and he's like, all right. And I'm going to activate the third one, he's like, well, I'm already dead. And I'm like, no, you, you were at five, and then you went into three, and now you're at one. He was like, doesn't Lava Mancer do three? Turned out he'd been marking down three points every time he used Lava Mancer. <sighs> so we call the judge. We're just like, okay. So I, wasn't keep, I was keeping track of my life total. I stopped keeping track of his at some point because he was at a million life, and I was just, you know. I was just not doing what I should have been doing here. And so he's like, well, and I've been taking three damage. Well, and we'll, we'll, we know which times it was. No, because all his burn spells do three. I'm like, yeah, all my burn spells do, do three damage. So he's like, all right, where's your exile pile, right? I have, like, 30 cards exiled. <laughs> so we then have to go, okay. So we go through my opponent's, uh, uh, my opponent is currently bleeds he's at negative one. We got to go through his graveyard. Okay, he's played, like, three paths this game. So or two paths. We take all the cards. We take out two cards. So I'm like, okay. I flash back bump today. Okay, we take out that. Uh, and then we're like, okay. So he goes through the rest of it, and there's like 11 Lob Mancer activations in there. So it's like, all right. I'm like, but I know I, I didn't just burn those, him. I also burned some of those creatures. And so we basically agreed that I had burnt um, five creatures total. One of mine and four of his. And that he should have gained six lives, so we went up to five. And it's, like, the biggest cluster I've ever been involved in That's in a match. Absurd. And it's like, oh, this is awkward. And I, and I ended up winning that game. And so then, you know, third game, same game plan. I'm going to burn him out. But, of course, my issue is that I want as much time for the third game because I'm, I'm on the same plan. I want to burn him out. All you have to do is activate Martyr one time and you're not going to win in time. No, because I can still burn him out theoretically. I can still burn him out. And I didn't have Leyland or anything in my deck, so I can't, like... But so I can, obviously the bridges are back out. Like, the, you're just not... No, the bridges are in, because if I can't burn him out, I can still just bridge. Right. And, because, like, I, I need to get a situation where I can uh, play a bridge and burn him out, and hopefully get in a similar situation. But I need time to do it. Like, if I'm not going to win in the first three or four turns, you know, first five turns, let's say, then I'm going to... It's going to take forever. And so that's why I was sort of, sort of, like, hurrying through it. And, of course, the third game goes... And we have, like, seven or eight minutes, and, you know, it's just a situation where he boards an O-ring, um, I play a Torpor Orb early, he O-rings it, I play a bridge, and then we just get in the same situation where, right, right. you know, I think I played a second bridge, too, and I'm just like, okay, well, we're going to draw. So then I'm the guy with playing Black Red Burn with a draw. Nice. Yeah, this does not happen often. 
Uh, and then I, I played, because of that, when I played Peter Johnson, we were both X one-on-one going into the last round. And we're both with an early unintentional draw. Right, or both with an early unintentional draw. Also weird that Peter Johnson got a draw being that he's playing a combo deck. Right, he's yeah, playing pod. He's playing pod, which is a slower combo deck, so that's more, it, that, that happens more often it's than more that. It's more believable, but... Right, and then it's, you know, so... He, and he had lost the round before, and so his breakers were better than mine, so we're trying to figure out whether I should scoop him or not. And I'm like, okay, so here's the deal. Like, the two, they're, they're, the first, we're on table six, which when you're going into the, trying to play for top eight, you don't want to be at table six. Um, so the first two tables draw, right? So that's four slots right there. Then tables uh, three, four, five... Um, which is, you know, they're they're all sitting there and they're playing it out. Mm. So we're, yeah, we're, I'm like, okay, so we're, you know, but the table next to us was table five. They couldn't draw because they actually had horrible tiebreakers, and we could have beat one of them. But the other two tables, their tiebreakers were like much better than us, and so one of the two tables is able to draw. They just have to figure it out. And so, unfortunately, it was uh, um, Monty and uh, Scott Ruggiero. Name I'm mispronouncing. Uh, they're the ones who who are playing last, and they're they they by the time they threw the third game, there was like six minutes left right, in the so round. They unintentionally drew. Well, I think they just drew at that point because right. I mean that they were sort of on the cusp of drawing, and really they it was they could have drawn pretty easily. They just were not sure about it because sure. they they didn't understand the tiebreaker math. Where mm-hmm. you know between Peter and I, like you know neither of us has a shot basically if anybody else draws. So Peter Peter wrote a tournament report. Uh, I believe it's on Legit MTG. Uh, if you want to go read it, um, his his article is the one with the picture of him with a cat on his head. <laughs> uh, Good to know. So he's uh, yeah. So he he did that, and then on Sunday, I'll quickly mention that I uh, split the top prize of the Legacy IQ with John Sava. John Sava, I gave the invites to because I, uh, the invite to because I am already queued because I'm a writer, you know. I love John Sava. Yeah. Uh, it's really funny because I went to school where John lives now in Athens, and um, I was in this metal band, and we were like a mix between any Swedish metal band, like Haunted, At the Gates, whatever, Like, uh, and we didn't really take ourselves very seriously, so it was like kind of on the, on the uh, edge of parody. And I played keyboard, and, uh, and then we had a drummer, a bassist... And two guitars. One of the guitars was John. And at the time, he was like 17. He was like in high school. Mm-hmm. But he was like very much, very social in Athens. And like, because yeah. like, he grew up there maybe. Yeah, I think so. And, uh, and it was really funny because uh, he, I, I remembered him. And then I, he came into our F&M like six months ago or something. And he was like all clean cut. And like, you know, right. getting ready to graduate. And he was going to go to law school and all this right. stuff. And I'm like... What the he's hell? still he's like, still in a band. He's uh, in Amish Electric Chair. They recently opened for the Ataris. Wow, so he's big time now. He's, nice. He plays bass, but uh, yeah. Uh, um, so I, I split the top prize with him. He was playing Ma- Athens Blue. He was just playing the actual cool the, deck. The Energy Field Go deck with no Jace. No Jace because you can attack Jace. Go yeah. look at this deck. If the you're deck listening to this and you like Legacy, go to IncandungeonManager.com. All of these deck lists are posted there. Yep. And check out the the top eight for the legacy. The, the there are some really cool decks here. I played I played Maverick. Um, I played a Scrib Ranger in my deck, which was awesome because it blocked the Delver of Secrets for like ninety turns in one of my one of my games. And it also can do cool things like untap knights and untap uh, Mother of Runes and 
you know, I got a turn three batter skull off of it one time because I could untap my noble hierarch and replay a Savannah. So that was fun. Um, but yeah, so, uh, I'm, uh, he's writing a tournament report. Uh, I don't know what website it's going to end up being on, but, um, if it ends up being on here, we'll post it on in contention. And if not, we'll announce it somewhere else, but congrats to John Sal for getting the buys and, uh, congrats to me for getting money because I'm awesome. So. <laughs> and, uh, well, just a, a final, a final, uh, thought on the weekend. Obviously I, I spent a significant amount of time prepping, getting ready, getting singles ready, uh, you know, having friends come over to help sort. Uh, I think I went to the tournament with something like 30,000 cards. I had like nine uh, 7,000 count boxes or something. It was ridiculous. And now now all of them were full. But um, there was a, a, a moment at the end of the tournament um, going into at the end of Saturday, going to day two, that I realized that I have entirely too much magic, and I'm kind of I kind of was at a crossroads a few weeks ago as I, as I was putting everything together because I am I I'm no longer a hobbyist. I've kind of crossed the threshold and have crossed into a territory that my magic stuff is not no longer hobby income. It's probably more like income income. And um, so I've been. We're I, I crossing talk, into hashtag land tax. Territory. Hashtag land tax. So I, I've engaged. Um, I have family that uh, are practice law, and I've, I've talked with them, and I've talked to a couple of accountants, and done a lot of research online. Um, and basically, it's there's this big gray area in magic right now. There's a lot of people that a play magic for a living, so they're out traveling, right. they're doing they're doing the magic thing, they're going to GPS. And then there's also a huge community of people that <coughs> are binder grinders or small-time dealers or what have you. And there's a big gray area that uh, there's very little support in the way of documentation for guys like me who, you know, who want to do this as a way, you know, to, to earn a little bit of right. money. And, and you are in a position where you are, you don't have a store, so you can't, uh, it, it, you know, you, you could, you know, the, the way that stores would handle is they'd sort of look at their inventory at the you know end of every year and just categorize that and say, okay, you know, basically, you know, figure out that, th- use that to basically figure out how much they made in terms of, you know, because, you know, you're buying and selling a lot and there's only so many of the records that you really have. But this, goes back, to the, this goes back to the other problem about the theft is that there isn't a set value on anything. Right. So you, don't, you don't have a set number. This is, that's exactly right. And that's where... I understand most of it. I understand the difference between income, hobby income, capital gains. Like, I've done a lot of research in that area. In fact, um, I I started a conversation on Twitter because there was somebody who posted that, (coughs) actually, Noah Winston posted that he was getting between 15 to 25%, or he said he's at only 15 to 25% margin on his magic sales, to which I replied, what the hell are you complaining about? That's insane. Uh, Which basically means that if you buy... A collection for five hundred, you can sell it for about a thousand. Right. It's very, very good to be in that in, in that area. And, right. Because um, he didn't mean margin. He meant he meant return on investment, which right. is a different calculation. Which, if you had a hundred percent return on investment, it means for every dollar you're spending, you get two back. Sure. So I kind of was I was kind of trolling a little bit, basically saying, "Hey, like that's insane. What are you complaining about?" 
And uh, and then Chad Havas, I'm sorry, not Chad Havas, uh, is it's Chad. Sorry, Tor, his, he's Torre Tudor on um, on Twitter, and he's a really cool guy. He, uh, yeah, Chad Havas, he chimed in and was saying that he's actually writing an article. He's a writer on Quiet Speculation about tax law, and he has a CPA who's going to be participating in this. Okay. And um, it's just, I, I just think it's really cool that people are coming in and helping guys like me out now because I was really worried. I didn't know what I was going to do. I'm thinking, well, you know, this is going to put me in a new tax bracket, and I'm going to have to go back and look at all the sales I did. And, like, so it, it's 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 nice to know that, like, there's there are people out there that, that will be advocates for it. I, I have a feeling that in the next two to three years, if Magic continues this trend, there are going to be people that specialize only in this, like, like CPAs for the binder grinder. Right. Like, I'll do your taxes for you. Well, it's like, okay, so poker, um, which obviously in the U.S. has taken a big nosedive, but, you know, that became a big thing with poker a few years ago because it's a very similar, it's, it's very similar in that there's two kinds of poker players, right? There are people who play professionally for a living, and there are people who make money at it as a hobby. And there is a big difference tax-wise. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I was looking into... Uh, and I, I used to play poker a lot more seriously when I was 21, um, early 20s. And I was looking into uh, uh, being a, prof- a quote-unquote professional poker player. And there's a lot of things you can write off that I was surprised yeah. about. You can write off tournament entries. You can write off poker books that you buy. Um, right. And so, like, there's a huge difference between being a quote-unquote professional and not announcing. Right, and theoretically tax. the difference is that if you are doing it professionally, you're expected to show a profit within so much time. Sure. And so, you know, if you are, like, you know, let's say that I'm a, perfect, I'm a legitimate professional Magic player, right? And uh, when I go to a tournament, I can write that entry off. When uh, I've, I've heard of this. I don't know how well this works <coughs> out. But I, I know of somebody who uh, was, at least for one year, made enough money that they could easily consider a professional magic player. And they busted boxes. Or they, they, pl- they basically drafted and called the drafts. Um, like they, they basically treated the draft yeah, like you would sure. a poker book. Yeah. Like it's just research, right? They're going to a pro tour, so they bought a bunch of boxes. And they, that, they, you know, they wrote off the boxes because that was like, you know, part of their... Their you know, thing. I don't know if they then, you know, took sold all those cards and called, you know try to figure out what their, uh, re- you know, return on that was or whatever. But you know, like there, there's a lot of these gray areas where like, okay, so I, you know, I'm I I want to be a professional magic player, right? So I'm going to go to a grand prix. I'm going to fly to a grand prix, right? So I got to write off my plane ticket, or do I? Like it becomes a lot more gray when it's a hobby because like, if it's a hobby, I can't write it off. But if it's something that is I'm doing professionally, I can run it off. See, I, and, this is this got me so much opportunity right, and, to, and that's the problem is that it's very easy to write off a lot of stuff, and then the IRS comes to you and says, "So you're getting audited because you know you made twelve thousand dollars last year or whatever. You made thirty thousand dollars last year, right? When your main job, and you lost fifteen thousand dollars playing Magic." Like we, you know, this this is not, you know, how is this your profession? It was, this is this is there's something not jiving here. And then you got to show how, like, you know, how you're expecting to make money at this and stuff. And it, it, you know, you can probably do all this stuff and not get caught by the IRS. The IRS can only audit so many people every year, and so 
you're, you know, chances are if yeah, you and, are, and if you're making small time <coughs> amounts of money doing magic, you're probably not high on the. That's a, that's a good distinction right. to make because that was one of the first things that was mentioned to me when I first got into this last year, actually it was last summer. And look, if you if you if you binder grind and every so often you go to a dealer and you you know you get a few grand. It's it's on you. If you want to report that on your taxes, like you can, especially because you're not getting a W nine for it. You're not getting that, and that's a, it. Or okay, so, so the real thing is, and again, it, I'm not, I don't want to get too much into this. If you're interested in it, I might do a panel, a finance panel, at some point because I think the stuff. It's really probably fun. not a bad idea. But um, PayPal actually will make you get a W nine if you have greater than two hundred transactions or the transactions total twenty thousand or more. Now that doesn't sound like a lot. But you can filter through transactions very, very oh, quickly on PayPal. So if you are on MOTL and you've got a big year ahead of you, um, like like my year so far, I mean, we're barely into March, actually March 1st, and I've processed a lot more transactions than I've ever processed, I will definitely hit that threshold. Not that I have 20000 to show for it, but every time you buy and you sell and you buy and you sell, you only have to do that 20 times at a $1,000 transaction to hit that threshold, and then bam, W9. And um, that's that's not something, if you're not prepared for that, you're going to have to pay, You're gonna, it's up to 25%. Um, yeah. and, and if you don't have keep good receipts, you're not good at writing stuff off, because you know any collection you purchase is technically something that could be written off. It's, it's, the, it's right. the cost of goods sold. Um, and then if you, if you do things like, like what you do, like, uh, like for Ohio Magic Weekend, if you rent an event hall, you should look in to see if that's write-offable because it's part of your right. business. And, it, and, it, and it all, you also have to make the distinction between hobby income and income. Like, magic isn't my primary source of income. My likelihood, even even right now, I could probably get away with not reporting any magic income if I, if I kept it all cash. But it, it will catch up with you. Like you all it takes especially one if purchase. you especially if you admit it on a podcast. Well, no, I, no. At this point, I've consigned myself <laughs> to the fact that I'm going to have to report sure. magic income. But it's uh, but don't don't get yourself into a situation where like, hey, there's a lot of guys that listen to our podcast. You're between the ages of 18, 22. Maybe you're in high school. Maybe you're in college. Whatever. If you if your primary source of income is magic cards, right, and there's a lot because be there's, a, there's there's been an increasing number of binder grinders. I've talked with like John Medina and Mark Sun and John and J.R. Wade. The, the the number of people who grind binders for profit and not just for fun in the last few years has exploded. Right. So everyone's trying to get value, not just it's, it's about protecting yourself. Right. And, it's, and a lot of it's counting. So I, like. Let's say that I buy a collection for $1,000 and I sell it for $2,000, right? Well, I made $1,000 profit. Now, if I put that all through PayPal, right, and I do 10 of those in a year, and it, so the PayPal says, okay, you made $20,000, right? Okay, well, I also, you know, so, and, and the IRS comes after me. I didn't make $20,000. I made $10,000 because I bought those for $1,000 each. Okay, do you have records to show that? No, I don't because I just paid some guy. Sure. On Craigslist, a thousand dollars. That's a cash. good point. That's why you, if you, if you're listening to this, you go gotta out, protect yourself. Go out and get a little pad of. Uh, uh, it's a. Uh, they sell them at office supply stores. They're actual receipts. They say receipts on them. They have carbon paper. And if you do transactions, fill out a receipt. Take a picture of the thing you purchased, what you paid for it, and keep track of it. 
you will you will thank yourself down the line. I'm I'm kicking myself the early earlier this year. I didn't do that, and I I actually as soon as the red flag went up, I'm like, oh, I got to start doing this. Keep 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 good records. Protect yourself. This could very well be our public service announcement episode. <laughs> we've, we've been like, here's what you need to do to protect yourself. Like five times in this episode. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, protect protect your stuff. Protect your taxes. Protect your you know. How, I, don't, right. I guess we didn't go over how to get cheated or anything, but yeah. you know. But it, 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 sorry to go along with this. When you win money at magic events, like you will go to some events. Where you win money and they just give you cash on the spot. Yeah. They're probably not reporting that. Star City reports stuff. Right. If you go to an event and you fill out a tax form, Wizards the same way. When you sit down for the last round of Grand Prix, <coughs> they get your tax information. When you um, go to a Pro Tour, they get your tax information. And so I know of somebody who uh, I'm not going to name any names. But they were essentially required to do very well on a pro tour uh, in order to pay the taxes from the previous year that they had not withheld because they did, they did well enough one year, and all of a sudden they're just like, oh, wow, I owe a bunch of money in taxes. Mm-hmm. Right. And they basically had to do very well on a pro tour to get the money to pay their previous tax dirt, uh, debt because, you know, all of a sudden it's just like, wow, i got to pay like 25% of this money that I already spent. It's it's really funny um, in doing research. There's a, collectibles is kind of a hard area for tax law, but I came across a lot of baseball card uh, people that collected mm-hmm. baseball cards. And anybody who was a subject matter expert, like the person who came in and was like, "Okay, well, here's what you have to do," is just like, "Yeah, the tax man will catch you." Yeah. Like unless you're dealing strictly in cash, which I mean, you could, I guess you could do that if you wanted to. You'll get caught. It, but don't worry. Like, like I said, if it's a thousand bucks. You are so far off their radar, right. but if it's twenty thousand, like yeah, I mean you're going to have to pay on it, just, right? Which is keep now, in mind that's five thousand dollars. Right. If, if you if you deduct nothing, it's right. five grand. It, you're probably more looking like if it's twenty grand, you're probably looking at closer to like fifteen hundred to two thousand. Um, not right. all the stuff that you deduct is actually going to go toward that twenty five percent. You usually can kind of get it down to around ten. Right, but again, this is, this is like way high right. level. This is for, if you're getting getting way into the game. You're not going to attract because the IRS is more focused on dealing with drug millionaires and millionaires. If, if you're if you're in pack to power, you don't have to like. It's not like you right. get a mo- it's not like you get a lotus. And you got to give the IRS like a time. Yeah, block. don't don't take yourself too seriously, but but yeah, keep it whatever. in mind. All right. So, so speaking um, of protecting yourself, uh, so something like one third of all the people that attend uh, Grand Prix Saint Salt Lake City mm-hmm. are going to receive. Uh, I think it was one third is going to receive more than their entry fee in profit. Not one third. Is it one? I forget what the stat It's like, was. no. 400 people. No, 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 no. Not even close to that. What it was is somebody uh, figured out. I think it was actually Greg, who's one of uh, the, the guys from Columbus. Right. U- useless end on Twitter. Right. He figured out, I think, that 8.5% of people will make more than $15. Oh, okay. So, like... Uh, but this, we're talking about the Gold Rush program right. that Star City introduced for, right. Salt, for Salt Lake City. Rather than do a playmat, because, like, you know, Grand Prix, they sort of give something out. And the question is what they give out, Right. So Grand Prix National, you got a deck box. It's these really cool. Those um, are awesome. Yeah, they're they're. Uh, I don't know if they're EDH or they're they're like dual deck deck boxes. But you know, for a limited Grand Prix, it was awesome because you got to keep your sideboard in one half and your main deck in the other. Right. 
they, they've got, uh, I think Nashville's getting out a shirt this year or something. Um, obviously, Indianapolis planning on getting out a play mat, and it's not happening. That didn't happen. Yeah. But, like, have you seen the price of the play mat for a Grand Prix um, uh, Hoff? It, it's like 100 bucks. It was uh, it's a bill and a half. It was a hundred and a half. It was one fifty yeah. at first. I think they've gone Jeez. down a bit because people started. You know, everyone who saw that immediately put them up on eBay. Right. So like the price will go down and it'll level off. But so in a couple of years you'll be able to buy one, but you'll still be able to buy one for like seventy. Right. But but um, so what Star City is doing is a program they call the Gold Rush. They took a set of Unlimited, a set of Arabian Nights, a set of Antiquities, a set of Legends, and a set of Dark. And they took all those cards and put each card in an individual envelope. And each person who plays in the Grand Prix is getting an envelope. Yep. Now, uh, I think that's like 800-some cards between those sets. Um, and then if they get more than that, they start adding sets. I think they add Arabian Nights. Yeah. Then uh, Antiquities. Then Dark. Or maybe, it's a, maybe they add Legends, Dark. I don't know. There's some order they add the sets afterwards. Right. Um, to sort of, you know, depending on how many people there are. It's creating like a super booster pack. Right, exactly. It's a lot like Priceless Treasures. So, yeah, and, and like, you know, the average card price, I, I did the math on it, and uh, when it starts to these sell prices, it's around, uh, assuming that they, they don't have to add any extra sets, it's around $13 per person on average. Now, that's, of course, heavily weighted by the fact that you have one Lotus, five Moxen, right. one, one time, time Walk, walk. one Library, one Bazaar, one workshop, but you know, there's a, even there, you know, there's still, there's, doing legends? there's still, uh, yeah, doing legends. legends there's, yeah, there's, there's a, a lot of, there's, there's a most tabernacle. tabernacle. Yeah. There's still a lot out there that you can get. It's not, you know, super, you know, power. I just, say, I think just opening a pack can, that might have like a city of in it is really yeah. cool. Yeah. No, you could get a, uh, maybe you could get an Arabian Nights mountain. I don't know if they included that one. They but sure that's, they did. That's, they worth, that's worth something. You that's worth like I mean? 25 bucks. Yeah. So like, if, you know, you can open it in an envelope and there'll be 30 bucks in there and you'll be more than happy. Or you just get a Lotus. And this, or you'll just get a Lotus. This Some promotion is get amazing. It, it's and so, gonna, such a good promotion. And the thing is, Star City is going to buy all these cards back anyway. Oh yeah. So. Well, they're going to buy some of the cards back. I mean, obviously they're not going to buy back all the, uh, uh, Raging Bulls or whatever. Right. But, you sure. know, it, it's, it's just something where... The Elvish Ranger. I wouldn't want to see this at every single event as the promotional thing, I think. But I like the idea of the fact that they're varying it. I mean, for people that go to a lot of Grand Prix, yeah. there's only so many playmats you really want. You know? And, and so, uh, varying it really uh, means that, you know, it's like, oh, that's a cool, cool thing. And, you know, I think for this event... This is really cool. I, you know, again, we we'll want to see that every it's event. An interesting idea. But I mean, Absolutely. a few times a year, doing something like this, or you know, even uh, you know, what if they took, uh, you know, a bunch of they had like, this whole like foil sets. They took like right. all the early sets and did those too. Yeah. Or you know, fo- they had a foil Japanese set of something, and then they they right. figured out you know, so it's a similar value. Strewn across the room is all like all of Urza's legacy and Urza's destiny. There's one foil of each card. And each person at the Grand Prix gets an envelope, and you might get a foil Iron Will, but you also might get a foil Grimano. Right. Everyone gets a booster pack, but it's like, you know, a random booster pack. Right. Like, you get an envelope, and you can open up a booster pack, and then the booster pack is just beta. Right. You know, you never know. Like, they have a lot of different There's options. There's a lot of things they can do. This is, this is really good marketing. And so. it's, uh, you know, and there's going to be all kinds of rumors floating in the room. Oh, did you hear that, like... This uh, guy opened. Yeah, I, I heard Conley Woods got a mox or something, right? Yeah. And or someone's going to use their Black Lotus as a batter skull token, right? Right. I mean, it's just a it's a cool way to uh, to get a lot of uh, you know get a lot of press. 
but also just get a lot of like excitement around the room of just yeah. like you know you get a, like you know you're just waiting to get your envelope because you're just like man did I just hit the did I hit the lotto here right it's gonna be awesome and so security again needs to be tightened up because of the amounts of cards that people are suddenly going to have now not everyone walks around the room with a binder so someone's just gonna have their deck box that has their limited deck in it yeah. with a uh, you know a unlimited bayou you know I'm what I mean. Gonna, that was the card I was thinking of. Unlimited Bayou was the first card that popped in my head. I'm like, I don't want to say a Lotus. I just want to say right, Bayou. just something, something you know. That's kind of insane. Because you know, top, top remember, 10%, but not top one. We should go play the lottery right now. <laughs> okay, fine. If you remember uh, the pre-release for Zendikar, the mm-hmm. um, so the priceless treasures got spoiled like two days for the pre-release. Right. Right, and then like about two weeks before, they'd add something weird to the comp rules. Says basically, if you open up something into a different set, you can't play it in a limited deck. Right mm-hmm. now. At the time, no one really thought anything about it because this has actually happened before. Uh, there was um, the rumor is they did it intentionally, but it supposedly was unintentionally. Uh, when they first started doing um, judge promos, was in Saga, and they put in apparently one of the foil uh, sheets or multiple foil sheets accidentally got mixed in with the regular foils for um, I think it was one of the or it was either Destiny or Saga or Destiny or Legacy. And so you could open up a pack of, like, Destiny, right? And just have a foil lightning bolt in it. And the rule at the time was, like, well, I guess it's in the pack so you can play it. And so people just didn't think anything about it. And then this rumor came out, and someone's like, oh, wait, they just changed the comp rules to add this thing in it, right? And so at the pre-release, everyone's like, you know, they're getting ready hands. Because they're just like, man, I and they open up your packs and you go to the last card and you're like, ah, oh, it's a land. Ah, oh, it's a land. Ah, oh, it's a token. Ah, oh, it's a token. But you're, you know, the, it's, right. it, it's the idea that you could just bust a bazaar. Right. We had, at, at my pre-release, uh, one girl opened a Tundra. We had uh, a Scrubland and a Sinkhole, I think. And uh, when we drafted that set Infinite, I believe our friend Arvin got a Frexian Dreadnought. He did. He did yeah. get a Dreadnought. And now, like, the downside of that was that we couldn't draft it much for the first week because uh, some people who won packs got greedy and busted all their packs. Right. Looking for Priceless Treasures. Yeah. And I was like, it's well, like one for 20 one, cases. It, it, I thought it was I thought it was one per case. No. No way, God. It was, that. it was like one for 20 cases. There was, a, there was a list of all the Priceless Treasures that had been opened on one of the Salvation forums. And, like, one person opened a Lotus. You know, like, there were big things like that. But then someone opened, like, a signed Lotus petal. Or, like, weird things like that. I just like love that, like, the amount of prep work that had to go into getting the cards to put into this. I, bet, yeah, I, I think that they probably just had these laying around the office. I don't know. No, so. I bought, think they went into eBay. And, from what I... So the rumor I heard was that they basically spent a long time buying up cards. Like, when they knew this was going to happen, they basically bought a bunch of cards off eBay and off of other sources like that. Like, slowly over time through, like, probably not having them mailed directly to Wizards of the Coast. And they, like, snuck them in there now. You're never going to hear anything about this, no. right? Because, you know, for obvious reasons, uh, they're 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 just not talking about it. You know, officially, price stretch never happened, as I understand. Uh-huh. It's just something that you know, someday down the road, they'll be like, so this we had this promotion once, uh-huh. and we've never actually like because like there's other things that they've done that they've done that they just never admitted to it. Like, I don't think anyone... Oh, I think it took, like, a year or two to admit that Cold Snap was not actually... Right. A hidden... Uh, it was not actually found. They lost it in the, in the closet when, or something. When they were cleaning out Richard Garfield's desk, they were like, oh, it's a set. Let's make it. Like, yeah. Yeah, they, they, they ran with that story for a while. Just, right. to, just for funsies. Well, just to try and get people to buy the set, so... Yep. All right. Well, uh... I got one last thing to okay. announce. Uh, I, I announced on this program, of course, Magic the Newsening. Uh... 
is coming soon. We are recording uh, tonight, March 1st, and it should be up either sometime next week or early the week after. Uh, once I'm done editing it, so be be on the lookout for that. It's gonna be it's gonna be good. I, I think um, you're gonna be happy with the result, and I, I hope I hope I make everybody proud with uh, with the, with the work. So yeah, great. Any, uh, any additional shout out attitudes or no, I don't think so. Other topics. All right. That's all I got. All right. Well, until next week, we're in contention. <laughs>